All right. This is the next edition of 10, Qu 10 Questions Podcast, that quarantine cast edition. And not only am I welcoming back who seems to be my latest new BFF elite dentist, but I've also got Chris Kirsch on with me. And yes, if you did, if you were detecting a theme to this episode, this is the elusive Black Batch crew right here, because they're one, they're they're a couple of winners of the social engineering capture the flag at DefCon, and. We we had some cross communi uh, cross communication that didn't quite work with Snow, so she was supposed to be with us. But hey, Snow, all all the love. They I passed your message along to to these guys as well. So uh, you're you're with us in spirit. Yeah, she'll definitely be sorely missed because I very much enjoy her stories. Absolutely, yeah. So thanks for having us. Oh, of course, of course. And uh, you know, and as as Elise can attest to, you know, at you know, once uh, once the uh, happenings of the summer in general started seeming to uh, tick away and get chipped away at, um, I've been quite interested in um, in uh, hitting up topics that it seems like we're we're not gonna have uh, much access to this year since it looks like. DEFCON may actually really truly be canceled. This don't, time. don't, don't say it. <laughs> well, I, I'm willing to give up hope yet. Oh, not, well, I, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm in which, denial. <laughs> I, 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 I forget which, uh, which, uh, uh, group it was that owns, uh, however many of the casinos on the strip. Um, but there, there was one of the groups in Vegas that they pretty much canceled everything on all of their properties outright through the end of August already. Oh, wow. wow. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if it was the same group that had any, ha, has anything to do with, because uh, what DEF CON supposed to be, uh, it, it, it's, it was, it was it's supposed to be at, to be at the Caesars center? Forum. Yes. Yeah. It's supposed to be at Caesars Forum, the big conference center. And I honestly don't believe that it'll even be completed down by then. So maybe. that makes things a little complicated. Maybe if COVID is killing DEFCON for a year, maybe that's a blessing in disguise. So it can't be at Caesars Forum whenever it happens again. But I, I think if there's that's one true. crew, yeah, if there's one group of people that can deal with a virtual conference, I think it's the DEFCON peeps, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so it, you know that that is that is yet to be seen how that will go down. Obviously, I've been seeing a few people. Uh, uh, Frank McGovern, um, in particular, was the one I saw that said that as much as he hated to do it, he he went ahead and canceled his uh, travel reservations. Yes, I saw that, so, and I wept. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's it, it's gonna it. it <laughs> Well, hey, if DEFCON was being held in Georgia, I think I guess we'd be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, frankly, the thing that concerns me most is air travel. And since so many people travel by plane to go to DEFCON, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if we either took parts of it virtual. I, I don't think that there, there, not every aspect of DEFCON can really be translated to a virtual oh, conference very well just because of the sensitive nature of some of the topics and things like that. Probably not a good idea to have it accessible online. Um, but I definitely feel like there's a way to pull off some kind of a, 
a, a virtual experience for DEF CON. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we don't get to have all the contests. We definitely don't get to have all of my favorite aspects of networking and seeing friends and tacos and beers <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, I think we could do some parts of it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very sad that DEF CON will be canceled along with a lot of the other events that were planned for this year. But I think that it's all- no prom. Yes, DEF CON prom. And then, uh, I mean, everything from CypherCon in my calendar just got completely wiped out. Um, I mean, luckily, Layer 8 is still going to be virtual and we can, uh, you know, hear all the amazing talks, but there are tons of talks that will not happen this year that's very sad. So I'm trying to give um, some other folks the opportunity to present those virtually at my DEF CON group, DC209. And I know that you've got a conference that you are Fajita Con doing virtually there. Up on May 2nd, <laughs> yes. We, of, so, of which Alif will be participating uh, as a part under of Under duress. <laughs> under duress, come on. 7.30 oh, oh. in the morning for a panel? Oh, 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 okay, okay. For, for, let's just set the record straight right now <laughs> that basically it started out as Alif's idea. And then I, and then I took it and ran with it. <laughs> I, I, I took it and ran with it at, at, at that point. But it, it, you, engineering. <laughs> you know, I've got people in the East Coast. I've got, I've got people in the West Coast. I've got people Central Time Zone. I'm pretty sure I've got some Mountain Time Zone. And I've even had people hit me up that are in Europe that were double checking about time zones. And I, you know, I, I said, you know, the good thing is, is that these will all be made available on demand after it's over. Very true. Very so, true. but yes, it was, you're doing, I just took it and ran with it. Oh, okay. So we're going to play like that. <laughs> innocent look, innocent, you know, you know halo. Bambi, Bambi ears and eyes over here. So to bring it back to the topic at hand, um, let's talk about SECTF. And for anyone who is unfamiliar, this is a competition where social engineers get, what, four, four weeks to do OSINT on a Fortune 500 company that is assigned to them randomly as their target. They have to turn it in a report to the contest runners, SE Village, um, who host SE Village at DEF CON, as well as their own conference in Orlando, SE Village Orlando. And they will grade the reports um, and release those grades back to the contestants prior to DEF CON. And then at DEF CON, the contestants have to show up, get into a soundproof booth, and then dial numbers of target employees that they have sourced themselves and vish the employees of their target company live for points in front of hundreds, literally hundreds of other hackers. Um, so Chris, tell us a little bit about your experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I participated two years. Uh, the first year I just wanted to give it a crack. It was one of the few competitions at DEF CON where I thought I can at least participate because my background's not, I, I've been working in information security for over 20 years, but always in marketing, product marketing. So uh, I'm not a pen tester by day, right? I'm not a whatever else by day. And 
so a lot of the competitions at DEF CON, while I love watching them and are really cool, I, I didn't have the confidence to enter because I didn't have the skill set. For social engineering, it was actually my husband who uh, I dragged him into um, the, the competition and had him have a look. And he said, like, I think you'd be really good at that. And I'm like, oh, really? Hmm, maybe I should give it a try because that was literally the, the only thing I could go and participate in. And uh, I gave it a try first year. I got, uh, I think, second highest score for the OSINT report, but zero points on the phone. Oh, and I watched that. I, it was soul crushing. <laughs> yeah, and it was really, it was really tough because uh, my target was a um, a big uh, security hardware company, a firewall company, and uh, I had a Saturday afternoon slot, and I Ouch. I just couldn't get anybody on the phone. Right, I, I knew that I knew my call time during my prep, so I'd researched. Uh, private cell phone numbers of employees mm -hmm. and tried to reach them because I knew nobody would be at the office. And uh, I spoofed the headquarter number and most of the pretexts, and they just didn't want to pick up any calls from work. I learned that they're all so overworked and that you know the, the, the climate at that company wasn't very good at the time, so uh, nobody was picking up calls from headquarter. And another pretext I had was uh, I had found uh, their lease for for the building um, in an SEC filing, oh, and, nice. I, and I saw that it ran out, and uh, that they'd broken ground on a new facility. So I figured out there were like I don't know, it was a big building, so they had like five or so facility managers uh, in different roles, and I spoofed the number from their real estate company that they were leasing the building from. <laughs> and my pretext was basically, oh, hey, you know, we've got a new tenant who'd like to have a look at the building. Uh, can you uh, let them in on Monday? Like, uh, we'd like to come by and then, you know, I can ask a lot of questions about the building. And I, I the only person I got on the phone uh, during the entire 20 minutes was this one facility manager. And he said, I don't know why you're calling because we just re-signed re the lease last week. You know, oh, no. <laughs> of course, that didn't oh, show no. up in my OSINT. Right. Uh, and that, yeah, that was really tough. Um, but then I think actually that helped me for the second year because mm -hmm. I knew, okay, the OSINT part was fine based on the grades. Um, I'd already lost my dignity, right? So it couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get worse. And I think that calmed me down a lot because I thought yeah. it can't be worse than last year. Like right. it can't possibly be worse than last year. So um, I, I also changed my tactic a little bit. I went away from cell phones to numbers that would always be staffed, right? Because okay. with the cell phones and, and individual dial-ins, because you have a limited amount of time, uh, if one person doesn't pick up, then you're screwed, right? Or yep. well, not screwed, but you lose time. But you waste all the time, yeah. You waste all the time. And the reason I hadn't chosen, like the only number that would have been open for the firewall company mm -hmm. was a tech support line. And I, and I know that they're really trained, they follow process, support is kind of like one of these areas that where if you don't call in with a contract number and are, a, a, you know, like somebody who's on a support contract, it's going to be really tough to even have them get talk to anything. you. Get anything, yeah. And even then they're so process-based that it's hard to get them off script. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the second year, I had a very different company. I had a, a Fortune 500 toy company that sold mostly through, uh, you know, through other retail stores that were out of scope, uh, like like uh, Toys R Us or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, may they rest in peace. I think, right? They yeah, I think they're, they're, they're trying supposedly to, I think coming they're back. Trying to reboot, yeah? but yeah. but it'll never yeah. be the same. <laughs> so, but I but I did find a few um, sites where they did operate their own stores. So that was in scope. Mm-hmm. And I did find sometimes, I think I had a Saturday call time again. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but I found uh, two stores that were open during the times that I had my call. They were all in malls. There were actually more stores that were, that were open. But all the public numbers were all going to a call center at headquarters. And again, oh, okay. that was too much process for me. I wanted to get like average Joe on the sales floor mm-hmm. because that would have, you know, they're people uh, whose job it is to help, <laughs> to help. They're not trained on process. Mm-hmm. They are probably not trained very well on security, uh, minimum wage labor. They, uh, turn over quite a bit probably. Right. So I right. thought if I spoof somebody from headquarters and reach somebody in a retail location, then I have the authority I need to make the call work. And I have a target who's, who's willing to help and not very process oriented. And that paid off really, really well. I, was, uh, I had my, um, my baseball hat on in the booth and like looking down <laughs> on my script and the, the yep. baseball Locked hat everybody like, else. blocked the audience out, right? <laughs> yep. So I was, I was just in the zone and the call worked so well. I, I had written a script and I had expected to veer off script for a mm-hmm. few things when they threw me a curveball. And first time the whole call went through without basically any changes to the script, second wow. call uh, as well. And then I ran out of time halfway through the second call, uh, but it worked extremely well. Um, so I was, I was happier about the second call than I was uh, about the, the first year, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Elise, so, is, that, is that something that you, that you did with uh, yours? Did you use scripts in the booth? So I, I've tried what I spent a lot of time practicing. And the one thing that I noticed for me was that when I was scripted, it was really, really difficult for me to deviate from the script. Um, and the first year that I competed, I did have a script. And because of that, I may have already captured one of the flags, but then I asked the question again, because I was trying to follow the lines in my notes. And I wasn't really paying attention to the dynamic aspects of the conversation. Like, why did I just ask her what her operating system is when she just told me, you know, two seconds ago in another area of the conversation? Um, So I really tried to move off of scripting between the first year and the second year I competed. Uh, The first year I competed, I was tasked with a transport company. The theme was transportation and this was like a a really large uh, Fortune 500 trucking company. And uh, I was really, really anxious to say that I was an internal employee because I expected that the staff would immediately be like, okay, what's your name? And like, look me up in the global directory or, or push back in some way. And so I decided to go with like a vendor third party type of a situation. And I had a few different pretexts, but my biggest mistake the first year was that I thought I could only capture each flag once. 
I thought that I had to get all of the flags through the course of how many ever phone calls it took with whatever pretexts I had, but that I couldn't repeat the flags. So my whole strategy was broken before I even got in the booth because I was like, I'll do this pretext to get these five flags and then that pretext to get flags six through 10 and then so on and so on. And when I think it was when Whitney got in the booth and I realized she was repeating the exact same call like process and flow for a second time, my like head exploded. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I did this all wrong. I did it all wrong. And I went into the call portion the first time that I competed with a report score that was fifth out of 14. And so I was like, holy crap, I've got a chance. <laughs> And so I was like, I would just like to maintain fifth. That's all I wanted to do. And then after the call round, uh, which was, I had similar issues to what Chris experienced the first time for the first, I think it was 12 or 13 minutes of my 20 minutes. I couldn't get a single person on the phone. And it was because I didn't vet any of the phone numbers that I found. I found direct dial desk numbers and I found, you know, numbers that definitely called the company, but I didn't test to see if those people would pick up because you're allowed to call the numbers, keep yourself on mute and just make sure that a human picks the phone up. Mm -hmm. um, you can't interact with them at all before the, the contest time, but at least you can test the numbers and see if they'll pick up around the same time because you know your call time and you know your call day. Um, so that was, that went okay. Like my first um, pretext was that I was calling from the food service vendor and I wanted to come in and do security awareness training for the food service vendor employees that were inside of this other company, the target company's building. And I wanted to know about like, do they have IT on site? Who can help me set up my projector? And is there security? Do I have to badge in? What kind of badges do you guys have? Like that kind of stuff. And I did all right. I mean, I ended up slipping into sixth, but uh, overall, I felt pretty good about it. There was one point where um, I, I ran out of time with, I mean, I ran out of things to say with the first person, like it was starting to get weird. And so I cut the call short and I tried another number and I ended up going through my whole list of like 13 or 14 phone numbers that I had. And so I just called the main number and I talked the to the receptionist for a while and I was like, oh really, how long have you been with the company? I'm thinking about applying there. And she's just like, is there something I can help you with? Is there something I can direct you to? Like, can I put you through to somebody? And I'm like, yeah, you know, thanks so much for your time. Can you put me through too? And I picked the first person that I tried to call that had been out to lunch or whatever and not picked up her phone and she picked up. And so I went from the food service vendor and she picked up and I planned a completely different pretext for her. I was calling from the charitable organization because she managed all the charitable, like charitable giving for that company. And uh, so anyway, I changed from, uh, I forget even what the name was that I had, but I changed from Tracy at the food service vendor to Jennifer at the charity on the same call. And I remember hearing all of the people in the audience go, oh, and I was like, holy crap, that was amazing. <laughs> and I just got like so tickled and excited that they thought that that was cool that I'd switched pretext like midstream on the phone call and I just flipped into the charitable giving one and was like hey you know I sent you a pdf last week the email did you get it and I'm like oh look I, I think I have your email as blah 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 which I knew was wrong so I had her correct me and give her her right email and then I was like well if I resend it I just want to make sure that you have everything you need to be able to view it uh, and then I asked her like what kind of email client are you using and your PDF viewer and like all those types of things and I got a few flags and it felt really good and like 
because I got anything, the audience was like, yay, good job. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I am addicted to this now. <laughs> because like Chris, I come from more of like a digital content marketing and OSINT background. Um, I've been doing OSINT in some or other way for the last 20 years professionally. So the OSINT part was super comfortable for me. The phone call part was extremely nerve wracking. And the first time I competed, I was so just completely floored on adrenaline and stress and anxiety and everything that I was like, like actually shaking in the booth because I was just petrified of the audience and like not getting anybody on the phone um, because I've seen it happen to a lot of people. And it, there's just some things that are completely out of your control. But from that first experience to the second one, a lot like Chris, uh, my second time in the booth, I was so ridiculously calm just because it felt like known territory. Mm -hmm. And I, I switched my pretext thing from being external to the company to being internal, because that's something that I learned from both Chris and Whitney. And I'm sure the several people before them, that internal pretexting is the way to go um, from the SECTF and probably beyond uh, perspective as far as vishing is concerned. Um, so this year I put together a pretext that I, I sort of scripted in that I had a general idea of how I wanted to drive the conversation. I had a reason why I was calling and that reason let me ask all these questions. And um, the way that I played it was the first call I made, I, I actually called their internal IT help desk. So I posed as an employee who was trying to access a website and my computer that I borrowed from another employee because I was new wasn't going to the website. And I talked to their IT person who was offshore into telling me, A, they were offshore, their shift, and going to the link. And I was like, holy cow, they went to the link. <laughs> and I was like, if I just get that one call under my belt, I'll be okay because I was after hours um, for the headquarters. It was like 5.30 PM their time and none of the direct dial to desk numbers would be answered by anyone. I tried all of them and I found like a hundred <laughs> and I tried them all and after 5.30, they just all go to voicemail. And so I had to get creative. And so uh, I figured if I just call the help desk over and over and over again, maybe I can get them to go to the link every single time and like build, stack that flag. Well, when I called the help desk to test it, no matter what option I pressed at that time of day, I got the same one person every time. So they had one single person who was tasked with that company's support for that time frame, And I was like, well, that idea is out the window. So I was like, well, I'll do that first. I'll get a flag or four or five, and then I'll just move on to trying to attack the remote employees. Why not? So I found all their remote salespeople that were uh, basically like managers of territories throughout the United States. They all shared their cell phone numbers because they've got the retail locations calling them and their job is to push. I'm trying to be very careful not to, to disclose uh, specific information about the target. So that's why I'm pausing here and there, but the retail locations would contact these people about merchandising and product orders and things like that. So they always answered their phones and they get calls from a lot of random numbers too. So when I was testing their numbers, uh, I would spoof a number that was known 
a known spam number for the the headquarters area code. So if they Googled it, it would just come up as a known spam account. And I tested each one of the numbers, cell phone numbers of the salespeople uh, who were remote that I was going to target about three or four times a piece to make sure that they would pick up around the same time during my call time slot. Um, and when I got them on the phone, I just said, you know, we're getting ready to ship out new laptops to some of our remote employees and upgrade some equipment. We noticed your computer hadn't connected to the VPN in a while. And I just wanted to check in and make sure that we had the correct versions of whatever software it is you need on your computer. Um, you know, before we ship it out to you. And so I managed to get them to confirm the VPN, to log into the computers, to go through all of the software flags with me, and then to tell me what they preferred I ship it through FedEx or UPS, and then a handful of other things. And it really flowed naturally because I took the time to memorize all the flags. I had a, a really good idea of where I was gonna steer the conversation but I still gave myself the ability to be dynamic. Like for example, when one of them was like, oh, I've been on maternity leave for, or paternity leave for three months and I've still got a month before I go back to work. And I was expecting, oh, thank you very much. Goodbye. And we'll call the next one. And he's like, hold on, let me go get my laptop, <laughs> <laughs> which was amazing. Um, and then I had another really, um, really wonderful sales guy that just answered the phone in the best mood every single time I called the test. And I was like, this guy is going to help me. And I still feel horribly guilty about all of this. To be honest, I still feel freaking awful <laughs> about manipulating these people. And I feel even worse if they ever called IT to ask where their new laptops were. <laughs> But sent uh, them a gift basket. <laughs> I know, but hey, at least it's not as bad as Chris Kirsch. I didn't, or I'm sorry, Chris Silvers. I didn't promise them gift cards <laughs> and never send them. This is a company asset. It's not like I was giving them a laptop. So, anyway, um, yeah, it worked really well. Uh, and another thing that I learned this year versus last year is that all of the child and parent companies of the Fortune 500 that you are assigned are in scope. Yes. Say that again for anyone listening who wants to compete. Every child or parent company of the target that you receive is in scope. So for example, if your giant conglomerate owns a smaller does something else company, you can target them. <laughs> So that's whenever, something cool whenever you get to companies that big, there's guaranteed to be a handful of those. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the, the toy company, any... that's, that's how one I targeted basically one of their acquisitions. Right. Yeah. Yep. And like you said, going for, for the sounds horrible, but going for the lowest level employees is usually the most beneficial when you're trying to do something like this. Yeah. Um, and, and, or um, people who are, dedicated to helping and that is like customer service HR sometimes when they're nice and <laughs> customer service and uh, the lower level support tiers sometimes too will be super helpful yeah, um, and, and and I think probably those big those bigger companies or the places where you're gonna be able to find those holes is because it's it's hard to it's hard to fill in every single hole whenever you're that size yep you know, it is very I, difficult. 
Well, I, I you know, I, I know that the company I work for, I don't know if they qualify as small or if they ventured into medium size yet, but, um, you know, it was the, the uh, location I'm at, we were acquired a couple of years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I had been involved in all of the security and compliance stuff. And, uh, you know, and since the acquisition and since my original boss left the company after the acquisition, I've all of a sudden become the security compliance person in the company. And great, fine. I love it. It's, I geek out on that stuff. And apparently I'm, and a minority because of that, but um, is but uh, you know I've had a running tally of things that when all of a sudden oh yeah I'm now responsible for it all oh these people are either gonna love me or hate me whenever I'm done but but damn straight they're gonna know what to do and what not to do mm -hmm. um, you know th there's <clears throat> th there's a um, uh, a, a couple of the people that I've worked with uh, that, that have been there like pre-acquisition and they were there even before me and they've heard plenty about do this, don't do this, no, really do not do this. And so, you know, like both, you know, talking about, you know, like sales guys, I guarantee you this one sales guy I've got in mind, if you were ever to end up talking to him, oh no, he's, he, he's been trained well. You wouldn't get anything out of him. <laughs> Um, but, it, but, but no, it's just, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Is that, is that a dare? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, to, to, to be perfectly honest, to be perfectly honest, I, I, uh, am hoping, hoping that I can convince management to, uh, shell out for a physical pen test next year to, to truly put everything into play. Um, yeah, I, 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 I want to test it out. Um. But we'll, we'll we'll see how those things go. Um, but no, it, the, what I'm working with right now, though, it's it, it's amazing how few people, you know, if they haven't been harped on, won't do the stuff to keep things secure. Well, security is um, hard. I mean, secure security is people not don't hard. like doing hard stuff. <laughs> security is not hard. I, I, we, it's not. It's not that it's hard, but it is definitely you, you, not. You've, you've got to go out of route. your way. You, you, you've got to go out of your way. You can't. You can't be secure and be lazy. You know. Yes. Um. Yeah. You know. But the, I've had times where I'm working right now where. Um, before you know before the new owners kind of changed the flow of what was where and what building and whatnot that um you would get people that were that were coming to uh you know sit in on a training session they didn't know what was going on anything like that and you find them upstairs wandering around looking to see and i'm like what the hell are these people doing and it's you know and nobody made sure to direct them to the right place all the time or um it is, and uh i've told uh, i've told the story before right now i've even been guilty of signing off on insecure physical behavior um because <laughs> it, because for the time being it's it, it is simpler it's faster 
because nobody is doing those particular aspects of the job, you know, I, I've already I've already been talking with management across the board, including people that would have to that, that are in charge of the people that would have to deal with that this particular aspect I'm thinking of. And I told them, I said, this is going to have to be something that they always do. We're going to have to, we're, we're going to have to clamp down on this. It's going to have to be done in a certain specific way every single time. And, it, it, you know, and, uh, you know, like the answering of calls that they do right now is going to have to actually be a little bit secondary to make sure we're doing this properly. Yeah. I think uh, companies are definitely battling this new, uh, remote workforce. There's obviously people that are seasoned in working remotely mm -hmm. who I think have a little bit of an advantage because the the folks that are used to being in an office, they, they have the ability to validate requests um, in a different way, face-to-face -face with their boss or their manager or somebody else on their team. And now they've been, you know, pushed out of the office into their own workspace. And they're really vulnerable because I feel like a lot of people who are now working remotely for the first time are going to be a little bit too trusting um, and they're going to have insecure work habits so or their do, computer that they got think, from work is do you think that's true though because yes the the person that could validate whether somebody is xyz mm -hmm. might be you know just a few cubes over but how many people actually go through the pain and check that because it's extra that's effort, true and it's yeah, also that's true. It's also a little bit like people don't want to show people they've just met that they don't trust them. That's very right? true. Right? Yes. And yeah, I would agree with that. And then you also need to look at the uh, sometimes the power dynamic. I, I remember one talk by by Tinker at Layer Eight last year, where he got introduced to you know person X, uh, like uh, and and some nice old lady uh, and he introduced mm -hmm. himself to her and said like hey can you help me i'm here to uh, uh i don't know like uh, upgrade the server or something or... right oh, can, you, can you direct me to it right and mm -hmm. then she walked them over to it and told them uh that yeah. uh this person is here to operate to to upgrade the server right so she essentially vouched for uh, him vouched for him even though she hadn't checked. And so the person in IT, should that person then go back and say like, oh, can you show me your credentials? Like they, they assume that he's vetted. Whereas the, right. the lady probably thought like, oh, they're gonna know about it and vet him, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there gets a, a lot of stuff gets lost in handoffs. Also, when a higher status person hands something off to a lower status person, then uh, the lower status person is never gonna question challenge that. it, right? Never gonna challenge it, right? So sometimes you get handed off, and then you can pivot what you're here to do, mm -hmm. right? So there's all of these things. I actually think it's it's thinking about trust is really interesting because um, essentially those are trust relationships, and when mm -hmm. people think about trust, they always think it's bidirectional, right? Right. We trust each other, but trust is actually one directional and it can go, I'm not saying that we can't trust each other, but that means right. I trust you and you trust me just because I trust you doesn't mean that you trust me. 
right? right? They're independent of each other sometimes. So for yes. example, I may trust you and you don't trust me, but yeah. if we both trust each other, they could be completely unrelated. And yes. that's actually a really interesting topic. And it's something that I've uh, dug into over the past year to two years, because the foundation of everything that we try to do during SECTF outside of the OSINT, but also actually with the OSINT, not the actual finding of the OSINT, but the using of the OSINT is to build trust. And uh, I think you did that very well in the pretext that you used the year that you won because you called saying that you were from IT, you were familiar with all the technology you were talking about and how it worked. So you could overcome the objections or answer questions intelligently without hemming and hawing or sounding like you were uncomfortable. And that immediately build, built the trust that they needed to tell you what you wanted to know because they assumed based on the fact that you had the confidence and the technical skills that you were who you said you were. Whereas I think if I had called and tried to pull off the same pretext, I would have failed miserably because I'm not confident talking about, you know, firewalls or, uh, you know, things that have to do with networking and stuff like that. And if they'd asked me a couple of questions, I probably would have completely fallen apart, or at least I would have started to sweat. <laughs> and then they would have probably heard that I was anxious or nervous, um, and it would have fallen apart. But, but also remember, I wasn't targeting a, an IT professional, right? True. So even if I'd made up something completely stupid on the spot, <laughs> they're unlikely to have caught it. Right? Only because so, you laced it with technical terms and yeah, yeah. and had the confidence to pull it off. Yeah. I think I, I, th I threw the tech glitter bomb, you know? To, yeah, right, off. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and whereas I would immediately doubt myself and then undermine myself and completely blow my cover. Um and, and it's interesting because I've actually seen um, other contestants take the pretexts from winning calls and try to to use the exact same scripting to win. And the difference every time is the confidence. And it's not necessarily that, you know, Chris is an amazing IT wizard, but that he had the confidence to give the person that he was talking to the impression that he was, was all he really needed to get them to do what he asked them to do. Um, well, and, and, and what, what y'all are both talking about right, right there, it, 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 it kind of goes back to, uh, it, it, it kind of goes back to uh, a uh, principle from um, the uh, pro wrestling business. So it, well, it, it's, I, I, I'm really curious no, where I, this is going. I, I well, want to see where this is no, going. No, so it, is, it, 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 it really does because it, because if you listen to interview after interview after interview of all the people that have been in the pro wrestling business and have become big names and the, mm -hmm. and they resonate with the fans, that is the the one thing you will hear every single one of them say is that I got successful whenever I just took my own personality and turn the volume level up to 10 hmm. you know it, it's it, that that's the same in, in my mind i'm i'm making that same correlation with what you guys are saying it's that it's it's not a matter of uh it's it's not a matter of can you do this can you do that can you do this other it's a it's a matter of show yourself show yourself show show that you're in that you're in good shape show that you belong there um 
and that's what pulls people in that's that, that's what gets them to uh, abandon any any idea of zero trust if they haven't been trained to assume zero trust and i think you're really onto something there because when you look at myself and whitney and chris i can't really speak to the others uh, because i didn't actually watch their calls um but we all took our own personalities and just went forward with a character and completely assumed that character, but using all of our own unique personality traits. So for example, I'm an anxious, nervous, twitchy person. And so I wasn't about to go and try to be a super confident uh, leader type and adopt a pretext where I was in some kind of a bossy, you know, role telling this other person that they needed to do what I told them to do. Um, I instead went into it like I'm a coworker, I'm just helping IT out and I've been given this list of people that I need to contact and get their information and because they saw me as a peer and you know I was stuck working late trying to get it done, they kind of felt sorry for me and empathized and I always tend to go for the empathetic pretext because they're a lot easier for me, my personality to carry. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think you're right. If you kind of stay true to yourself and don't try to get too crazy. Um, I've seen contestants that have attempted to do everything from accents and costumes and, um, just really creative characters and it's wonderful, but it doesn't always get the points. It's an amazing theatrical performance and it's so fun to watch. We had, uh, we had a gentleman that competed last year who uh, I hope I'm not blowing his cover, but he is actually a professional actor. And he was told uh, by one of the employees that he contacted that he was a quote, damn liar. And they hung the phone up on him. And the whole room just erupted because it was extremely entertaining. Um, and, and what had happened was- He did it in a real like Southern drawl. Yeah, right? like a really, like she awesome. smashed him <laughs> over the phone. It was so amazingly hilarious and wonderful to watch. And he was such a champ for just, uh, just I mean, he was such a, uh, a good spirited person just to, to let that happen and not let him completely blow his day. He was, just had the yeah. best attitude about it. But he shook it off and just dialed the next number, right? Yep, he, he certainly did. <laughs> bear in mind, he's 17. Yes, right? so, he is a minor and he just went in there yeah. and absolutely crushed it. Yeah. Wow. And um, so I, I think after I did the SCTTF, I took some improv classes because I thought, A, it's fun and B, like, you know, for, for a number of reasons I wanted to take them. One of them was social engineering. And there's this concept of, you know, like if you have a bad scene, you've got to shake it off mm -hmm. and then start the next scene completely fresh, blank slate. And I think roughly that's what he was doing, right? Yes. He said like, okay, this one didn't go well. Roll the camera back. again and I'll go, right? And so I think from his professional acting career, uh, because he does TV and it's not, it's not uh, theater where you have to kind of mm -hmm. like continue playing, but you can just say, all right, let's do another Scrap take. it, take cut, two, right? we'll start over. Shake yeah. it off, start afresh, right? And don't let the, the previous experience drag you down. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that helped him a ton there. Yeah, Because he was, he was cool as a cucumber up there. 
totally complete well, it, fool. and that's something i really struggle with honestly is not letting uh like a bad experience like impact the rest of my day <laughs> like like i spill coffee in my lap and it's hot and it's like 7 a.m and it takes me hours to like recover emotionally from that so i should probably take some improv <laughs> Oh, it's, it's, by, it's, by the uh, way, while, while I have the world's attention, right? So <laughs> this this particular individual is uh, looking for his first gig in cybersecurity right now, and is interested in uh, either a security um, education or OSINT jobs. So if you have hmm. something, um, you know, contact me, and I'll put you guys in touch. There you go. Yeah. I think I think he would be absolutely wonderful for that too. So I'll, I'll I experienced that as somebody who's really hardworking and really good. Yes. So yeah. Uh, it's a, a, another correlation I was going to throw out there. Maybe maybe it's a little more simpler to understand. Is uh, is uh, you know especially if you're if you're somebody that's trying to really get into doing OSINT, doing vision and everything else. Um, you know, if if you believe, you know, you know, if you've got the confidence to back up, uh, especially you know, like the vision and whatnot, great. But it, the the other thing it made me think about was this fiction writing class I took in college, and there was there's one thing that I remember that professor saying that that's the only thing I remember from the entire semester. But it holds true. So if you think of yourself as an author and you're writing the story as you're doing this process the one thing this professor said is write what you know mm -hmm. write what you know if you don't know it leave it on the side write what you know now you know you 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 can break it down once again and get back into hey that that means that the stuff that you already know that you have knowledge of that that maybe you at least have a familiarity with yeah you can you can speak to it you can sound more confident once again it's you know it's all the same stuff uh, but but yeah write what you know if 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 you're doing SECTF be an, be an author write your story write what you know yeah, I would absolutely say that that's a great tactic because, um, for example, I work in project management and I work with a lot of corporate types. And with my first target, I was really uncomfortable approaching it from like, we'll, we'll call it the retail level. I didn't really want to call their retail locations. I wanted to call their corporate office because I'm comfortable with all of the business speak and the processes and all of those things. Um, I really screwed up and I should have called all the retail locations because I probably would have cleaned up if I had a understood how the points worked and B <laughs> had the, had the guts to uh, do an internal pretext instead. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, what makes, uh, what, what makes good efforts in a case like this, but I, I've, 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 got, saying, yeah. I've got to go there. I've totally got to go there. What, what is, do you have, do either of you have a story of your one vision attempt that you could ascribe hashtag epic fail to? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so uh, I would say probably the worst one was, it was their, um, the first, Okay, so it was like the 12, 11th or 12th number that we called the first time I competed was the first person that picked up the phone and he was a last resort. 
Um, he was a liaison for a government uh, department of transportation uh, entity to the company that was my target. So he had literally nothing that I could really talk to him about that would sound normal. So, <laughs> so uh, when he picked up the phone, I just said, oh my gosh, I am so happy to hear your voice. <laughs> And I said it more because I wanted the crowd to crack up because I was already like, well, I've already burned 12 minutes. I'm not winning this thing. I was like, might as well be entertaining. So he picked up the phone and I was just like, man, I have been stuck in your automated attendant for like ever. And I'm just so happy to finally get to a person. And he's like, that's kind of strange. <laughs> and like, just hang up and call back. Uh, but, but he was like, um, he was just like, okay. And I said, well, I'm calling from your cafeteria vendor. And I wondered if you could answer a couple questions for me, um, you know, getting ready to come on site, answer all these questions. And I'm like, could you test this link? <laughs> and it was just like the S E O R G dot O R G. And I'm on the phone with the guy and I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to do it. He's going to put the URL in. And he goes, you're not trying to send me to a bad link. Are you? And I was like, no, it's a perfectly good link. <laughs> it works. And, and then I gave it to him wrong. I was like, se.org. And I was like, ah, <laughs> as if I didn't like give him enough reasons not to do it. Right. It's already a URL that's outside of their company domain. It's already like not a bad link, but I'm not super convincing. And then I give him the wrong link. And so finally I got it right. And he went there and he confirmed that he saw it. And I just about peed my pants. I was so excited because I didn't think I would get anybody to go to the actual URL. Um, what what yeah. you're describing is so interesting because he was onto something, right? He said like, oh, you're not sending me to a bad link. Yes. And then you, you reassured him. Yes. And then and he, he did it anyway. And, and it's not the first time anyway. I've seen that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the first time I've seen that. And so sometimes when people like are onto something that you, you won't be able to turn them around. But I've seen a few times where like, if you handle it like, with some humor and like, oh yeah, I've watched this, you know, like, oh, I've watched the same like uh, training, like we have to do that all the time, but how are you yes. supposed to get any work done with that? You know, like something like that. Right, right. Uh, and play it off. I think humor play it off. really yeah. well to diffuse yeah. it. I've seen a few um, people turn it around. I was like, I was visibly, like my knees were bouncing. I had my feet on the stool rung inside the booth and my knees were bouncing. I was so anxious and just full of adrenaline and I was like trying to keep my stuff together and uh I was like no ha, ha, ha. like not super convincing at all and he still did it so I thought that that was really interesting too and I I wonder if I had called with a different accent or if I had been male or if I had you know sounded like an older woman or a younger woman or how that would have impacted his trust of me, that kind of stuff just fascinates me. But I think that both years, the fact that I was aware of their company culture, that I had done my homework and I knew, you know, certain keywords that they used or systems that they had, that gave me the ability to kind of reassure them without just coming out and saying it. So you use Outlook, right? Or you have, you know, Adobe PDF reader, just like I do. Right. And now we're like the same. Mm -hmm. And so they trust me because I'm familiar with their system and I use the same thing. And I say things like, wow, you know, I trust you're ready to get out of here. Me too. So now I've, I've said, I trust you. 
And I've said, I'm the same as you. And whether they realize it or not, subconsciously, it kind of builds that bridge of trust between the two of us. Yeah. Even though I'm talking about them wanting to end the day, I said, I trust you want to get out of here. And so do I. And now we're the same. And they trust me. And that it's really weird how those kind of things work. Um, person 101 and not and not like just those things but i'm talking about like all of the different tactics together combined the fact that you know i have a soothing voice that i sound confident but i don't sound cocky that i relate to them with humor that i'm easy to talk to that you know all of these things together are one package that is easy to sell um to somebody who I'm looking for help. I, I, I checked in at my hotel uh, for DEF CON a few years back and I got my room keys and I walked over to the hotel and this woman just looked extremely anxious and she was looking around and I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah. And then she just started barfing her entire life story to me. It was like, I don't know if it's just because I've got big brown eyes or what. And everybody says I look like their sister or their cousin or like I just have a like a normal familiar face structure. I don't know what it is. But people for some reason like to tell me things. And <laughs> so she just starts barfing all of her insecurities about a previous relationship and this guy that she thinks is stalking her and she's worried that somebody's following her through the hotel. And so she's gonna go up to her room and she's really afraid because there's all these hackers here in Vegas right now. <laughs> and I turned around and I looked at her and I've been completely silent since I said, are you okay? I have not said a word. I've just nodded very understandingly and given her eye contact in a comfortable, not creepy way. And we're sharing this elevator ride and now like we're friends, right? <laughs> so she's just completely told me her entire life story and all of her insecurities. And I know what floor in the hotel she's going to and all of this stuff. And she looks at me and she goes, what are you here for? Are you one of them? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> got off the elevator. But in that moment, it was like this thing that I heard um, from Robert, Robin Drake's book on trust, um, that just by being silent, you can actually build an immense amount of trust. Because while you're letting somebody offload all of their uh, emotional junk, they actually see you as a trusting figure, though you have said nothing and all you've done is be silently supportive. Like you're actually building more trust with them than if you tried to engage with them at all because their brains are just pumping endorphins and oxytocin into their uh, bloodstreams because you're letting them dump all their emotional crap. <laughs> out of their brains and out of their mouths and I just thought that that was so incredible like you can build trust with somebody without saying a word just by allowing them to vent essentially and so if you find a pain point when you're doing your OSINT for a contest like this like the break room sucks the you know it's really difficult to get this one process accomplished or I really wish they would upgrade this facility or that facility or this hardware or that software. You can use that to give the other person an opportunity to dump all their emotional crap out. And then you immediately gain the benefits of that trust. 
And I mean, in a situation where you're talking about 20 minutes to complete as many phone calls as you possibly can, probably not super helpful, but you may be able to work it into the general conversation if you have a good uh, semi-flexible script um, and, and use those types of tools to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. And uh, heck, I've, I've heard it said plenty of times that, uh, that uh, the the best way to friend somebody is to let them talk because mm -hmm. everybody wants to talk about themselves. Yes. And I am definitely guilty of that as well. I think I spent the first 20, 25 years of my life being a complete narcissist and very, very much self-involved and self-centered. And it was really tough for me to like let my wall down and let other people in um, because I was extremely independent and I'd been burned a few times and just wasn't comfortable letting people in emotionally anymore. Um, it was a very lonely life, <laughs> but that's one of the benefits I think of exploring all of these things through social engineering is that it's made me an infinitely better communicator. Um, it's improved my personal relationships as well as my business relationships. And it's taught me how to set like healthy boundaries with things. I used to be like a total yes man, especially with work. And now I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I have three or four other projects going right now. I really just can't add more to my load. Can we push this back or, you know, Feels try to so deal with it to be able to constructively? Like <laughs> yeah. But what, what you said about the mm -hmm. Robin Drake book, right? Uh, uh, it's mm -hmm. not all about me for those that are interested. It's, it's one of the books that I probably recommend the most out of all the social engineering books because yes. it's super thin, but so chock full of so useful information. Yeah, it's and, extremely valuable stuff. Yeah, and, uh, and when I first kind of test drove some of these ideas, like, you know, like have people speak about themselves and only ask, supporting questions and active listening questions. Uh, one thing I realized was that my conversations were a lot more interesting to me because <laughs> I know my story already. Right. right. All I'm doing by telling my story is feeding my ego. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were all doing that on this podcast, by the yes, way. Yes, we're right? definitely because... doing that right now. <laughs> But, and that's um, how I feel every time I do a podcast. I'm like, I should just shut up and let them talk. Oh, there's yeah, the yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Called entertainment um, factor. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I felt I, I actually still think that like when I meet somebody new, I much prefer to just have them talk, not only to build the trust, but actually because it's more interesting to for me. Learn, yeah, to, to learn, yeah, to learn from them. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're only hearing things that you already know. Right. It's kind of like yeah. listening to the same 12 CDs your entire life. Like, mm -hmm. you know them. It's much more interesting to start learning um, and, and hearing other people's perspectives. And I, I really don't think that there's a substitute for time and experience. I mean, you can do class and there's skills that you can learn only through doing courses and getting degrees or completing um, certificates and things like that. And I'm talking about like everything from, you know, setting tile on up to administrating a network. There are skills that you can only learn through trade school or college or, you know, whatever. But experience adds that layer to any other skill that you have that you can't really substitute or get anywhere else. Um, I mean, a perfect example of that is doctors. 
through time, they learn all of the different ways things can go wrong or how to identify um, an illness without necessarily, uh, you know, going to a book. They just know that's what that is. And I think a lot of moms can probably say same thing from one kid to the next. You just get better at knowing how to solve or troubleshoot the kid problems. Um, but experience from other people and learning from other people, uh, that is by far, I think, the most valuable aspect of uh, my involvement with this community and meeting people such as the two of you um, and learning from the other folks in this community about you know, their skills and what they do and what they've seen and uh, what they've learned. For me, I wasted 15 years finding the job that I wanted. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I found the SE Village one year and everything, like all of the skills that I had attained through all these other jobs doing sales and marketing and uh, real property research and other types of OSINT related detective work. Um, all Actually, of that can you talk about that a little this. bit more? Because I, I remember when, when I first quizzed you about like your background and how you've used OSINT for work, I found that super interesting because what we hear about at DEF CON is only, you know, either SE Village or Recon Village, right? Like all the, mm -hmm. you know, Shodan safaris and those kind of things. So I have a lot of people who message me about how to get an OSINT job. And of course, there's always like the skip trace route and the private investigator route. Um, and I think that people either see uh, law enforcement, uh, skip tracing and PI work or red team and pen testing. And they think that's the only option for anything to do with OSINT. And that's probably the most exciting options, but there are definitely other options out there. One of them, I know you're very familiar with Chris, and that is the competitive intelligence uh, within different companies. And I'm sure that you can elaborate on that, but I'm gonna talk about what I do right now, and that is uh, talent and market intelligence. I work for a multi-billion dollar staffing company. And what we do is we help companies determine where they are going to invest in hiring people. So we are looking for the right type of people for specific jobs and the right blend of um, the market metrics. So is this market uh, good for taxes and other types of regulatory things, but also is it cost effective? And do we have the available talent? Because it doesn't really matter if there's zero tax and, you know, the regulations are super relaxed if we don't have the available talent with the skills we need, right? Um, so what I do is I, I do OSINT on the markets and I also do OSINT on the people and we also do OSINT on their competitors. And that I find super fun. Um, so that is a, a great way that you can practice your OSINT in a job that pays you money and isn't just, you know, a hobby. And once you get really good at that, if you want to segue those skills into something like red teaming or private investigation, law enforcement, I mean, the sky's really the limit. I got my start when I switched from a retail clerk job into a database entry job at a title insurance company. So we're talking about insurance when people buy and sell property. And what our insurance did was it said, 
here you go buyer, we are ensuring that the seller is selling you this whole piece of property and you own this whole piece of property with the exception of these things. And those things could be everything from taxes to easements to people who still had an interest in the property that had never deeded off. And our job was to research that piece of property all the way back to the beginning of time and determine that it had been handed off from person to person and see if they had deeded little bits of it off or deeded easements off to other people so they could use portions of it or stuff like that. So, I mean, I've done properties everywhere from Southern California to San Francisco to the California foothills. And I think the most fun I had was when I got a piece of property that had never been done before. So I literally had to go all the way back to the beginning of like the beginning of real estate time um, to find the original owners and then work forward to the present day to make sure that all the taxes have been paid and all the people that had died had been deeded off of this piece of land successfully or that the probates had gone through. And so that meant pulling up documents that were on like microfiche and going down to the county building and pulling back into the older records and maps and things that had been drawn on the piece of property. Maps were my favorite. And you would find maps that had like little sketches of like where the shacks were on the property and like, you know, rivers and, and like Tommy's sawhorses here and like all this crazy cool stuff. Um, and then so, for, so you mean you can do OSINT without ever touching the internet? Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of it is now totally internet based. I mean, uh, the majority of properties have had title insurance issued within the last few few years. So you're really only looking back like the last couple years or until that most recent policy was issued. Um, but there are still some cool properties out there that you get to dig way far back into. I think the coolest things that I saw were golf ball easements. <laughs> <laughs> like there's an easement on this property for the golf course next door to be able to have golf balls go over it without you getting irritated with it <laughs> or having any legal recourse. Um, there are also stipulations in uh, pieces of land, say, for example, in San Francisco, where you could buy the land, but you weren't allowed to build any buildings that were over like a certain feet high, because the person that owned the land next door had sold the property, you know, decades ago with the stipulation that their view would not be impacted by any building that would be built next door. Um, so finding those kind of things, I mean, those can be deal breakers, those can have a wholesale fall out of escrow because they're like, well, I was going to build a 78 story skyscraper. So I obviously can't buy this piece of land anymore. So, I mean, not like the most exciting thing, but OSIN, but OSIN is definitely something that you can find in a variety of different roles. And if you're looking for something like that, I would probably suggest looking for uh, job recs out there with words like intelligence or research or research analyst, talent intelligence, market intelligence, competitive intelligence. Um, those Invest will kind of lead you in the right. Investigation even. And yeah, even that. <laughs> you may have to get a criminal justice degree to go in that oh. side of things. But I think, I think honestly, that's something that I would have pursued had I had the opportunity was to go the, the uh, law enforcement route. Now I have too many kids. It's just a little bit too scary <laughs> for me to have to like call into work with a kid that's got a fever and be like, sorry, I can't go hunt the bad guys today. Like that doesn't really compute very well. All right. Well, we've, uh, we, we've been talking for a little over an hour now. I'm going to, 
go and say, hey, let's let's call an end to it. Otherwise, we could be here all night. And, <laughs> we'll be here forever. <laughs> you know, and, you know, you know, Chris, we're trying to respect that you're in the later time zone out of the three of us here. So uh, totally fine. But uh, <laughs> but now I, I I have enjoyed just listening to a lot of this myself. I you know, hopefully uh, everybody that's been listening uh, as well enjoys just hearing all this uh, all this uh, extra all these extra details you know if, if you're looking to do uh, social engineering whether you're talking capture the flag or not you just heard a lot of good stuff rolled into an hour and change conversation right here so uh, so uh, hopefully uh, everybody's able to uh, pull something away from this um, so Alith Chris Thank you so much. Oh, um, thanks for having us. And, it was uh, my yeah. pleasure. <laughs> is, 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 is there anything you want to add or plug before we're done? We have a DEF CON group, DC 209 meetup, the last Wednesday of this month. So you can direct message me if you want to get the link for that. It's going to be on how to use GoFish and launch campaigns and do phishing things. Um, but other than that, thank you again so much for having me on and humoring Chris? me. <laughs> Chris, you got anything? Uh, one thing I want to plug, uh, if you're interested in OSINT, one really good way to, uh, you know, train some of that is to join the Trace Labs uh, competitions. So basically they take missing people cases and uh, uh, sometimes they do it as a CTF at a conference. Sometimes it's a virtual CTF. Uh, where you can team up with up to four people or, you know, just run it alone. A lot of people run it alone. And you're trying to find real missing people just using OSINT. And even if you missed the, uh, the latest CTF, which just happened, uh, you can just go to their website and they have a Trello board. And each month they have maybe like eight or 10 different missing people cases where you can just submit information and research. And it's a really good way to, to train your OSINT. And it's oh, for absolutely. a good cause. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I learned a ton. Part in those. Yeah. I learned a ton from Trace Labs and um, doing judging of the, the OSINT yeah. missing person CTFs. That's another way you can get involved is by volunteering to judge. And you get to learn from all the other people's amazing OSINT submissions. Um, and they will be having another virtual uh, Capture the Flag event soon <laughs> and for anybody that wants some specific training i know that 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 um like missing person type OSINT and whatnot that's uh that's some of the stuff that uh c3pjo uh yes. does uh, does trainings on uh seek him out see see uh you know if there's any trainings webinars if he's doing any talks to any virtual cons, that's that that's going to be another good resource information right there. He, he's uh, very knowledgeable on that. So, all right, and one last plug once again for Hitacon. Uh, there is a there is a slate of twelve good solid presentations that are coming uh, coming up with that as well as we have amanda berlin as a keynote speaker we have uh jason street as uh, another featured speaker and of course elif along with randall and ushi on a panel that is uh that is uh, moderated by wirefall of all people that will be <laughs> first thing that morning that's may 2nd uh some of the more specific details will be out before or by the end of the week so uh, look for that. And uh, with that, thank y'all. Uh, and 
we'll go ahead and call it in for, uh, for the night.